think that that's my one of my approaches, if not the primary approach to this work, is that you know everybody is somewhere on this continuum, and I like the word continuum because you know the brute word is continue continuation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> you give people grace to to be somewhere on this journey. Yeah. Um, that everybody can't be at the same place in the journey, but we're all on this journey. And that takes so much pressure off of folks too, right? Because when you get caught in that good, bad paradigm of like, I can only be one or the other, we're going to do everything we can to be on the good side of the paradigm, including not doing the work we need to because it might put us on the other side of the paradigm we don't want to live on. That's exactly right. So just having a continuum, it's like, oh, okay. Like, I am a good person, I'm doing my work, and I'm going to get where where I want to be. That's the that's one of the biggest challenges of this work, I think, mm-hmm. getting people to do away with the good-bad binary. I mean, it's a, I think it's a characteristic of, one, the way our brains are wired, but two, um, how we've been socialized, especially in American context, to <laughs> yeah. you put the bad apples over there. <laughs> And us good apples over here. Yep. And I'm not that bad apple. So, but we then absolve ourselves from any real introspection or reflection. Yeah. On how we can perhaps contribute to some of the solutions. Because a lot of the isms that we are confronted with, um, they're not necessarily... Uh, they don't happen often, not in most cases, with intentionality, awareness, you know, or even this notion of hate or dislike towards any individual or individuals. It's implicit. Mm-hmm. That's why we use the term implicit <laughs> bias. Yeah. That which is implicit, you can't see, you can't readily address because mm-hmm. it's just kind of working under the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's why I think the work has to happen to your point this in, the internal battle if you will so I mean how do we like I understand that the first step is like we need to recognize that there is internal bias we need to be able to see oh I'm caught in a good bad paradox right now you know but what do what's the next step after that that's what I hear folks asking a lot is like, okay, I see that there's a problem, but now I'm no closer to like doing anything meaningful about it. I think the next step is, again, this word continued, continuous education, mm-hmm. you know, perpetual information informing you of um, how, you know, these things work. Mm-hmm. in society and not just in society but in us mm-hmm. you know so um, I've become this voracious reader of anything I can get my hands on Yeah, relative to you know how we as human species have managed and mismanaged our differences mm-hmm. um, so um and so th- that that's how I ended up in this work, if you will, as, you know, an equity practitioner. 
um, you know, in graduate school, I was just, you know, kind of chugging away at this idea of um, being a higher educate a higher education leader. Mm-hmm. So I was concentrating on leadership and supervision and administration, kind of principles, leadership principles, and yeah. But naturally, it kind of led to this notion of social justice, mm-hmm. and so I started just reading everything I get my hands on and and start discovering that especially this idea of race and even racism um, you know it's this huge social contract or construct I should say mm-hmm. that has I mean significant implications on our lives mm-hmm. you know um and, you know, I didn't realize until I started doing all this studying of this idea that in some regards I had been grappling with this notion, especially of race, since I was perhaps seven years old mm-hmm. in the second grade. Yeah. Growing up in South Carolina where a classmate of mine called me the N-word. Mm. Seven years old. And I wasn't upset, but I knew I was supposed to be upset. Hmm. It's it's strange, right? Yeah. And so I begin to, you know, wonder, okay, why was I supposed to be upset about that word? And why, why does that word mean so much? Yeah. And thus, I had been sort of internally grappling with this idea in my entire life. Why, you know, when I got to a certain age, you know, my good friend who we played football together since we were seven or eight years old, he was a white guy, I was a black guy. But as we moved up through high school, he had a crowd and I had a crowd that we hung out with. We didn't really hang out with each other as much as we used to when we were smaller or when we were younger. Yeah, there was just a force that was yeah, pulling at, you apart. At work, and we didn't recognize and realize it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that happens to many of us. And we it's just, again, this kind of implicit thing that's woven into the fabric of how we live our lives, especially in America. Mm-hmm. And... It wasn't calculated intentionality. It wasn't about I disliked him and he disliked me. It wasn't. It was just we were socialized Mm -hmm. to move in different directions. You know? Yeah. And how interesting then that, like, you're having these experiences at a young age. You're watching this play out in front of you. And then, like, slowly it turns into your life's work. Almost, it sounds like through this door of leadership development. And it was like, they're, like you just can't watch it happen anymore. Now you're like, I, I got to understand exactly. the why behind this. Yes. So yeah, that kind of, to your question about, well, so what do you do about this discovery mm-hmm. when you find out these things? about yourself it 
for me, it sent me on this uh, journey mm-hmm. of discovery. Yeah. And, you know, picking up and learning things all along the way that now I feel like I can say what a level of certainty that I try to practice equity on a daily basis, you know? Absolutely. Um, And so I sometimes cringe, though, when people refer to me as an expert in this area because no one is. Yeah. (laughs) We're ever learning. We're always learning, especially with regard to anything related to culture. Yeah. You know, so, you know, counterintuitively (laughs) to some, that's why I've moved away from this notion of cultural competency mm-hmm. to an idea of cultural humility. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, competency insinuates that I have it all figured out. Competency insinuates that we're at a place of completion, mm-hmm. that you're done. Yeah. But you can't ever, it's not like an arrival. Place. <laughs> it's not an arrival. <laughs> yeah. It's not an arrival. You're always on this journey. Yeah. And I think if we were willing to give ourselves humility, like, I almost wonder how much more work would be done already, you know, because I recognize within myself and other friends who identify as white, they're like, oh, well, I don't have any expertise in this area. So there's nothing I can do. I'm like, what do you mean there's nothing you can do? Like, this is literally playing out in front of you. Like, we have to be able to do something to move the needle. And if we're just going to wait for ourselves to be experts in it, like, how much are we just passing the buck on to somebody else to do our work for us? You precisely described another key drawback to this notion of cultural competency Mm -hmm. because to your point when people don't feel competent in an area or with you know in a subject matter Mm -hmm. they don't engage in that subject matter or that thing they leave it to those who they believe are competent that becomes you know diversity and inclusion committee's responsibility that becomes the chief diversity officer's responsibility it's not my lane so I won't do anything no culture is something that we need that needs everyone's input and thoughts and attention. Um, And then also this notion of humility, to your point, also sort of ushers in this idea that there's no one superior culture. Mm -hmm. You're humble enough to recognize that your culture is just among many cultures. Yeah. And we're in this exchange. You know, another way I look at it as, you know, in addition to cultural humility, cultural reciprocity. Hmm. I like that. An, an exchange of ideas, an exchange of cultures, always recognizing in the back of your mind that my culture is no better than your culture or dominant to your culture. You know, we're, we're engaging in an exchange. Mm-hmm. And we're learning from each other. I'm learning from you. You're learning from me. And we become in a better society as a result. Yeah. And I think, Rodney, like you're really getting at the heart of what we're hoping this podcast would be about, right, is like just helping folks 
start to move the needle, whether that is embracing this idea of humility or understanding the next steps that they want to take in their own work. Like we, you know, this can really be an avenue for folks to just sit down and like learn. And like, that's the gift that I feel like you really bring to our community in spades is like, let's learn about this and let's figure out what's going on and let's be in this together. That's exactly right. And that's my approach. And, you know, thank you for recognizing that and saying that and seeing that. But that is exactly my approach that we're all learning. Mm-hmm. We're, we're lifelong learners, or at least we should be. And, you know, this is all of our responsibility. It's everybody's responsibility to, you know, to make to make society better, to, to live better together. Yeah. It's all of our responsibility. Um, and then hopefully, you know, one of my big goals is for myself and for others, not just at Jewel, but collectively, but we have to do it here at, at Jewel as well, mm-hmm. is to get people to understand it's not necessarily what you do, mm-hmm. but it's who you are. Mm. You know, it's a different paradigm as to say, okay, what can I do? What can I do? Yeah. And then it's a totally different thing when you say, who can I be? Who can I be? Yeah. I. So we just finished up new staff training at the leadership lab. Um, and we had a conversation about this because we were talking about the language that we use with teams who come out. And a lot of folks, when they start out, You know, you hear you guys a lot and we're like, hey, this is just a really minute change that we can make to go from you guys to folks or y'all or team or stars, like whatever the word is that they want to be referred to as. But like that minute tweak is about making sure that there's space for everybody here. And they're like, "Okay, so why do we do this? I'm like, because this is who we are. Because if we are going to say that we are a place where everybody has space to grow and learn and develop, like we need to practice that and we need to believe it and we need to be it with every breath that we take. Yes. And they're like, whoa, that's going to take me a minute. I'm like, it's okay. It is allowed to take you some time exactly. and some work. Like you're not going to get there overnight. And that's if you right. did, like th- this wouldn't be a thing. <laughs> that's right. That's a beautiful thought, though. You know, um, this progression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just making those little minor changes like that, and w- which that's one I, I struggle with this notion of you guys. I say that all the time. <laughs> but uh, I think that's an example, though, that there's no such thing as expertise or perfection. Mm-hmm. You know, we all, you know, are, we all have work to do. Yeah. We're very human beings. <laughs> yeah, we're very human <laughs> beings. Exactly. One of my professors used to say that. Um, humanity is infinitely variable. Ooh. Ooh, Mm. that's like Stephen Hawking level stuff. Mm. Yes. cool. Yeah, and that has stuck with me that that's exactly true, that Mm -hmm. we are indeed infinitely variable. Yeah. Mm. So, Rodney, if you could put your finger on like one or two things that you're really hoping folks who are a part of this podcast walk away with. Um, you know, what is your your dream 
Mm. Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> it is. Um, I think one of them is what we what we were just talking about that people understand that they are a part of this, mm-hmm. that we all are a part of this, that we're all on this journey of, you know, making life better for ourselves and for others, that we all should look at ourselves as practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, we're practicing the idea of equity. Like you go see your medical professional who is practicing medicine and you know mm-hmm. so it's to see yourself as a practitioner of this idea that you're practicing like you to your point when people said that well that's tough i won't get that right mm-hmm. immediately well, of course you won't but you 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 should practice mm-hmm. you know and so it's it's a skill skill building is just like any other skill that you're building Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, so I want people, that's one of the goals. I think I want people to understand that we all are equity practitioners. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. And, I mean, sort of, you know, some of the details of it, another thing that I want people to understand, uh, particular with with this idea of race but mm-hmm. in particular that first and foremost race indeed is a social construct that there's no biological significance to our phenotype our skin tones our hair texture there there's no biological significance to that other than you know environment Mm-hmm. It's it's mainly about environment. Yeah. That we've put a lot of stock in something that really means nothing biologically. Mm. That, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're the human race. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, understanding, though, that this social construct has had some huge implications <laughs> yeah. For our lives. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if it is a social construct, then it can be deconstructed. Mm. If you can build it, then you could demolish it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was created by men. It was created by humanity. So we can do the work to dismantle it, mm-hmm. which is... One of my biggest dreams, if not mm. my biggest dream in my entire life, not just for Jewel, but me personally, one of my my biggest, hairiest, most audacious dream is to see racism dismantled in my lifetime. <laughs> I know that mm. sounds crazy, right? <laughs> No, I don't think that sounds crazy at all. You know, it's it's audacious. And when I define audacity with folks, I'm like, you know, this is the level that we can definitely get to. And audacity is that like one step further where you're like, I don't know. 
I don't know if this is 100% possible. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of intention. But I think it's those big audacious goals that drive us. You know, I'm like, my goal is to make dinner for myself tonight. Like, (laughs) all right, good job, Al. Like, (laughs) you got this, girl. But like those goals that you're really you go to bed thinking about and you wake up thinking about I think that's when you find your purpose as a human being I totally agree I love the way you said that that that's how you find your purpose mm-hmm. um I even make the the you know I heard I've heard some other people in the world say our dreams should be a bit unrealistic mm-hmm. you know it should be yeah. far reaching but those far-reaching, seemingly unrealistic dreams, they do indeed come true. Yeah. In a lot of instances, a lot of cases, you know, um, one of the examples I often use to give people an idea of what I mean when I say these unrealistic dreams and they, and they really come true is you think about the Wright brothers and their dream of flying. Mm-hmm. Let's think about that. <laughs> That's, yeah. That was a crazy idea. It's like, what are these dudes on? I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, like the birds fly. Like, birds, come on. <laughs> humans don't fly. <laughs> yeah. You know? They're like, we have a bicycle and we got some materials. What are we going to do? Yeah, we're going to go get out in this big field and we're going to ride real hard and catch the, let the wind and aerodynamics catch these. Oh, yeah. And we're going to fly. And I'm sure that there were people... In their communities, in their circles, like, those dudes are out of their minds. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. They're absolutely crazy. We fly on airplanes all the time. It's multiples, hundreds of thousands of airplanes in the air right now Mm -hmm. at this very moment that we're having this conversation. Yeah. It's an audacious, crazy dream that came true. The technology that we're using to have this podcast is a crazy Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is. It's a wild dream that came true. So, um, I have this wild dream. I love it. Yeah. I'm. I'm so excited to be on this podcast and be a part of this wild dream with you. Yeah. Because I think when we hit that critical mass, right? That's when wild dreams start to come true yes the tipping point the critical mass i totally agree i totally agree so it's exciting this you know to think about to be a part of this movement if you will mm-hmm. whenever i hear movement i always think about uh, hamilton the musical <laughs> and how he's like this is not a moment it's a movement yes and i'm I'm just like, yes, this is what it is, people. Like, the bus is leaving the station. Yes. That's that's funny. I was thinking the very same thing. This is not a moment. It's a movement. We, maybe one of our podcast episodes can ah, be about the musical Hamilton. Yes. I would be so stoked about that. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, I, I never got a chance to see that in live, but I saw it on TV. Yeah. Me too. I never, and I saw it multiple times on TV, actually. And, um, yeah, it's just, it was very inspirational. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, this notion of inclusivity 
and diversity in action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it defied what we believed. Yeah. You know, um, what's his name? Leslie Odom Jr. being cast oh, as <laughs> Aaron Burr. Oh as my Aaron gosh. Burr. Mm. Right? Uh, African American gentleman being casted as Aaron Burr, which is just. Oh, yeah. It opens your mind up to diversity. It, it opens your mind up to inclusion. It, it, it was. You know, I think that that was part of their goal, mm-hmm. you know, but it was just wonderful to see. And then he's just really gifted too, you know, yeah. talent wise. Oh, man. Yeah. They I can't remember what the math broke down to. But David Deegs, who plays Thomas Jefferson mm-hmm. and Lafayette, when he's rapping, it's like 80 words a minute. It's crazy in terms of just like pure talent that right. that man has. Yeah. Yeah. I mean again, you know, talk about this this notion of diversity. <laughs> these uh you know multiple intelligences mm-hmm. if you will, it kinda speaks to opening our minds to diversity. Diversity of thought, diversity of skill. You know, and I think that that's the benefit of of it all. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, uh a, a diverse I don't care if it's a, you know, workforce, staff team, mm-hmm. uh, football team, baseball team. Yeah. <laughs> you have a diversity of skills, diversity of ways of seeing things, mm-hmm. a diversity of approaches to a thing. Yeah. You know, you have the grounds for a more productive environment. I think I read a quote recently that said, and I can't remember where it came from, but... um a a diverse workforce is far more productive than a homogenous one. Mm-hmm. Every single time, I think it was a quote from. Oh God, I can't remember. He's the former CEO of Procter and Gamble. Oh, he was in talked about in Good to Great by Jim Collins. Alan um, Langley, I think is a Langley, a, something like that. I don't want to mess it up, but. I'm I'm with you in yeah. our in our adventure of who is this person. We'll have to Google it. <laughs> but he, but you know he's the CEO that took Procter and Gamble. Well, or Procter and Gamble. Had, I remember in the '70s and '80s maybe that you know hit a law and had some challenges, and mm-hmm. he he was the CEO that brought it back to prominence. Yeah. And so he was this innovative thinker, this global thinker, this, you know. And I think I think that was the quote that I read of his recently somewhere. I can't remember where, but, and he said, you know, a diverse workforce is far more productive than an homogenous one. Mm-hmm. And you got to believe somebody like <laughs> yeah. the CEO that took Procter & Gamble to what we know now know about Procter & Gamble. So, so uh, folks at home, in case you haven't picked up on this, this podcast is going to be about diversity, equity, and inclusion. <laughs> uh, but there's also going to be some fun leadership stuff that we're going to get to talk about. There's going to be uh, lots of cultural references, such yes. as Hamilton. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Is there anything else that our friends can expect from our time together? Well, I think it's also appropriate for us to even tell them who we are. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We've been talking, I guess, for 30, 40 minutes now. Mm, That Uh, would be good. So I'm Rodney Smith, um, Vice President for Access and Engagement at William Jewell College. And um, 
it's a new role for me and a new role for the college. But, you know, just as it sounds, access and engagement, my job centers around helping individuals to have access to our campus and engagement with our campus mm-hmm. with, a, with a special eye towards communities who historically have not had access mm-hmm. and engagement with our campus, which naturally, you know, drives in this conversation about diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, all mm-hmm. those things, those wonderful principles and values, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and y'all, I am Al Leone, and I'm the director for the Tucker Leadership Lab here at William Jewell College. Uh, and Tucker has been here for 21 years now. Um, I've only been here for five, uh, but we are really focused on um, developing communities for like fifth graders all the way up through corporate professionals. And all of those life skills that we need to really function, like how to communicate well, how to like develop trust within a community, how to be a community. Those are the things that my team and I focus on, um, just really leading with the heart and how to leave the world a little bit better than we find it. Beautiful. Well, y'all, thank you for joining us for our very first episode. We're excited to spend more time with you as time goes on. Uh, and until we get to be with you again. Continuous improvement is far better than delayed perfection. Ooh. Because, you know, earlier we talked about people waiting to the, for the right moment to engage in this discussion and this conversation. I waiting know. for... You know, I love it. You know, the opportunity or I'm not competent enough. I'm no expert in this area, so I'm not going to engage. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Mark Twain quote says, continuous improvement is far better than delayed perfection. Mm-hmm.